taking a break from the series that we have been in, in the book of Hebrews today, and we're just going to do a one-off at the start of this new year, looking at some verses, some very famous verses actually, in Matthew chapter 6 from verse 25 through to 34. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it up and look there. The words will be on the screen behind me, but I'd always encourage you, if you've got a Bible, open it, check it for yourself. Don't just trust me that this is what it says. If you don't own a Bible, there are some on the table at the back. Please do feel free to help yourself to one of those. I've, we're going to read together in just a moment, but I have kind of titled what we're going to look at today together, The Antidote to Anxiety. And I want to begin by saying oppressive leaders and regimes through history have used fear or anxiety as a way of holding people captive and indebted to them. If people are anxious about their life and worried about their future, then they will work hard to try and secure those things. That's good if you're a king and you have lots of subjects. They will also be more likely to support a leader who promises them food and shelter and security if that leader is constantly sowing into them fear and anxiety about those things. They can be powerful motivations in a bad way. We've got a general election coming up later this year. Now, please, I'm not saying that we live under an oppressive government regime. But already the work has begun trying to convince us as voters, right? And what are the main things, ultimately, that our politicians will campaign on? If you were to distill it down, when all is said and done, to a certain extent, the parties will campaign on these lines. Fear of how terrible things will be if the others get in or stay in. And the promise of how your life will be better, easier, healthier, and wealthier and happier if they get in. It's the same kind of motivation. But Jesus is a totally different kind of leader. Jesus plays no tricks and applies no spin. You'll see in the verses we read together today, he's realistic about the troubles of life and the challenges that we will continue to face even when we follow him. And he tells those who come to him in the midst of those trials and in the midst of those challenges, do not be anxious. Don't be fearful. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. If you're a Christian, God's will for you is that you are not anxious. At the outset of 2024, Jesus does not want you to be anxious. He speaks peace to you. He's not interested in exerting control over you by keeping you fearful. In the passage we're going to read today, Jesus couldn't be more clear about the futility of anxiety and the peace that he comes to offer instead. And so we're going to read together from Matthew 6 and then begin to unpack it and see how it would speak to us today. So Matthew 6, verse 25 says this. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore I tell you, 
Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither reap, uh, sorry, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray that you would help us now to hear what you would want to speak to us through your word. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear this afternoon? Would you help our hearts to be fertile soil for your word? Lord, I pray that the, the good news you would want to speak to us this afternoon would take root and bear fruit in our lives for your glory and for the good of those around us. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen. Okay. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Jesus begins this section by saying, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Jesus tells us not to worry specifically about two things, food and clothing. Why do we worry about these things and why does Jesus say this? Well, I think we get anxious about these broad categories of things because of what we will lose if we don't have them. That's generally why we get anxious about something, right? Because we think, if I don't have that, then this. We think of the consequence or the implication of not having that thing. And so we get anxious about food and clothing because of what we think we will lose or what we stand to lose if we have a lack of food and clothing. And there are three aspects to that that I want to draw out. And the first is that we would lose some element of enjoyment or pleasure if we miss out on food. Most of us can attest to the fact that over Christmas, we've possibly eaten more than we should have done and drunk more than we should have done. For what reason? Because it's enjoyable. It's pleasurable. Good food is enjoyable, isn't it? God, God didn't make food purely functional, but he made it enjoyable, pleasurable. It's a good gift. We think if we don't have it, 
we will miss out on that. And that's true. The second thing that I think is that when it comes to clothing, we would believe, and we believe, that we would lose some things if we were to not have not just basic clothing, but the right clothing. (laughs) We would believe that we may lose some affirmation or admiration from others if we didn't have the right clothes. See, we dress to communicate something about ourselves to those around us. Actually, that's part of how we use clothing to communicate something that we want other people to know about us or notice about us. A group we belong to or identify with. You notice it particularly in young people. But actually it applies to all of us. Social cues that we try and categorize ourselves by in some way or give a signal to someone. I'm male, I'm female, I'm sporty. I like elegant things. I have expensive tastes. I'm quirky or colorful. I'm a goth. These different kind of categories and interests that we have, actually we use our clothes as a way of expressing ourselves and identifying with those categories. And part of that is that we dress for some A's, I'm going to say. We dress for attention. We dress for admiration. We dress for acceptance. To be wanted. And so we can get anxious about food and clothing because we don't want to lose or miss out on that sense of security or affirmation from clothing. And the pleasure or enjoyment we get from good food. But we can also feel it because both are essential for survival. At a fundamental level for the extension of life. If our basic need for clothing is not met as part of our need of shelter, depending on the climate we're in particularly, we will die of exposure. Yeah? If we do not have clothing... As part of our shelter from the elements, we would die from exposure. If our basic need for food or sustenance is not met, then we will starve. And so I think we experience anxiety about these things because of what we think we'll lose in pleasure or enjoyment, in acceptance and status in society, and also at a more fundamental level in the prolonging of our life. But when we stress about these things, when we're anxious about these things, Jesus would say, we're short-sighted. We've missed what really matters. Notice, he says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Guys, I've got something more for you than this. I have something better for you than this. And we'll get into this more as we go, but right up front, Jesus wants us to see that we are made for more than satisfaction or pleasure in good food. And we are made for more than seeking the attention and approval and acceptance of others through the way we dress. And we are made for more than just merely surviving. 
We're made for more than worrying about these things. We weren't actually primarily made for physical pleasure, the likes of which we find by satisfying our appetites, whether that's through food or through something else that we take into our bodies. But we were made for something greater, the enjoyment of God. It's what we were made for, ultimately. It was not for the kind of pleasure we find in these other things, but for the enjoyment of him. We were made to know him and enjoy him and to be satisfied in him and by him. And life was not given for us primarily to pursue the approval of people through how we dress or what we say, but for something greater. We were made to know and rejoice in the approval and delight of God our Heavenly Father. And we were not created to simply try and prolong our days on this earth by meeting our physical needs. You know, I think sometimes we have an obsession with wanting to try and prolong our lives, don't we? Just this obsession with trying to live as long as we can. And this Jenny's grandfather at the moment is... Is seriously ill and he's 98 but he has doggedly and stubbornly said for years he wants to make a hundred and I kind of think I don't why <laughs> we have this obsession as people with the with the prolonging of our lives and Jesus wants us to know that actually not that we're reckless or squandering with our lives not that we place a low value on our life but that ultimately we were made for more. We were made for something infinitely better than just prolonging our days here and now. We were made for eternity with him in the new creation. And so Jesus addresses our anxiety over these things. And he uses a number of ways to address our anxiety. And he begins by pointing to the birds. We read from verse 26, Look, at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? When Jesus says to us, look at the birds, this isn't an object lesson in laziness. He's like, look at the birds. They just kind of kick their heels all day doing nothing, and God provides for them. Like, if you watch birds, you will see they're busy. They work. While I was preparing this week, I I did actually spend some time (laughs) watching the birds, little nesting birds, back and forth, from where their nests are, the trees, the shrubs, getting insects, getting berries. I watched our moorhens. We've got some moorhens in the garden, and they, um, last year, they relentlessly went back and forth between the crabapple tree and their little house. And they, I have no idea how a few more hens ate so many crabapples, but like they went for it. This year, there are zero crabapples. But they found something else to eat. They're busy, they're not lazy, but they're not anxious. They're not worried, they're not paralyzed with fear. God has provided for them. God is providing for them. God's providing for our moorhens in a way other than crabapples this year. 
And they're okay with that, I'm pretty sure. And Jesus says, you who are created in his image, who will be with him forever, are worth so much more to him than birds. He argues from the lesser to the greater. If he provides perfectly for them, if he meets their needs, how much more will he meet your needs? If they don't have to worry about their needs being met, how much more do you have cause, yes, to work hard, to be diligent, to be a good steward of what you have, but to rest, knowing that he will provide? Do not be anxious. He cares for and provides for them. How much more will he care for and provide for you? And then Jesus begins to open up the futility of anxiety. He says in verse 27, And which of you, by being anxious, could add a single hour to his span of life? See, anxiety is futile. Like, we know this, but we need reminding of it. It achieves literally nothing. Actually, anxiety not only gets you nowhere, it actually deepens your problem and stops you from productively addressing it. If you're just anxious and stressed about something, you can't think straight to address it properly. And in fact, rather than lengthening your life by worrying about these things, you're far more likely, research suggests, to shorten your life by worrying. So we read on from 28. And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Just like his provision for the birds, Jesus says, look at the flowers. God created the grass of the field with such beauty. Like it's, he provides perfectly and purposefully for his creation. And these flowers are nothing compared to you. Nothing compared to you. They don't endure in the way that you will endure. They're temporary, here one day and gone the next particularly in our house. Like, I would like to think we could keep plants alive for a long time, but we're rubbish. Like, they don't last. But, but while they're there, they're amazing. <laughs> they're beautiful. God has clothed them with beauty, even though they don't last. How much more will he provide for you? Let's read on from 31. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. In other words, when Jesus says the Gentiles, he's referring to those who don't trust in God, those whose hope is not in him. He's saying those who aren't trusting God chase after all of these things to feel secure they worry about these things if they think they're not going to have them or enough of them. Like we talked earlier about food and clothing. They place their identity and security in these things. 
which actually never truly satisfy in any lasting way. It's a futile pursuit fraught with worry and exhaustion, a never-ending quest to try and get approval, to feel secure, to have enough. It's amazing, isn't it? You, it doesn't matter how much you have. <laughs> there's always more. My guess is that, if you're honest, that would be your experience, right? It doesn't matter how much you've ever had. There's always been something else that you could have that you might quite like. That you think, well, if I just had that thing, then, that would, then I'd be content. Maybe you spend a long time curating your image and it never quite lands the way you hope, looking for acceptance with a group of people or from a certain person, looking for approval, wanting to fit in. And so you adjust what you're wearing, you tweak your image to try and meet that felt need and it never quite lasts The belief that just a bit more, a bit more pleasure, a bit more comfort, a bit more status, a bit more adoration would leave us content is folly. Jesus says those who don't trust God, that they're chasing after those things. Please don't be like them. You don't need to. Because your heavenly Father knows what you actually need. And what will truly satisfy you. He knows what you were made for. And he provides perfectly for you. Don't be anxious. And yet how easily we join those around us in worry and striving. Don't we? Like how easily we spend our time in worry and striving, chasing after this and that and the other. Jesus knows that. That's why he speaks these words. And he offers us a solution. He says, remember you're worth more to your heavenly Father than the flowers and the birds, and look how amazingly well they're provided for. Remember that he knows exactly what you need. He made you. And actually, he knows what you need better than you do. And then Jesus says this, from verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? Well, the kingdom of God is where God rules, where his reign is. So what does it mean in our lives to seek first the kingdom? I think people can sometimes go off on all kinds of weird, spurious ideas about what this means. It's pretty simple. Seeking the kingdom first means acknowledging God as king in your life in every moment and every circumstance and every situation. In every arena of your life, seeking the kingdom first means submitting to him as Lord. In everything. Asking, Lord, how can I honor you in this situation? How can I please you? How can I live for your glory in this situation? That's what it means to seek first the kingdom. 
to seek in every area of your life for God to be in charge. And the more you lean into him as king in your life, and you seek righteousness, you seek to live in submission to him, you seek to live for his glory, you seek to say, Lord, your will, not mine, your glory, not mine. What happens? You're freed from worry and able to rest in his providence. Why? Because Jesus says all these things will be added to you. You don't have to chase after them. You don't have to strive for them. Don't get yourself in a tiz pursuing them. Honor God. Put him first and he will add to you. Not be lazy, but work faithfully and trust God with the outcome in the full assurance of his love and the hope of his glory. As we seek first the kingdom, Jesus takes on himself the burden of our provision. And he says, all of these things will be added to you. What you really need will be provided. What do you really need? What were you made for? Approval, security, life, all truly found in him, now and for eternity. The measure we use is really important here, because lots of people take these verses and try to use them to argue that if we seek first the kingdom of God, then we will have health and wealth and pleasure now And we'll have all the things that we want. It's like we don't have to chase after them. We seek first the kingdom and then God will add all of these amazing things to me. My bank balance will be full. I'll have the car I want. All the things that I'm chasing after or my neighbors were chasing after. I don't have to chase them anymore. I just have to seek first the kingdom and then God will add them to me anyway. That's not what Jesus is saying. As appealing as that might sound. That's not what he's saying. Because remember, he's already said that life is more than food and the body more than clothes. He's saying, I have come to provide for you in a much more profound and meaningful sense than those things. I've not come to meet your felt need from what advertisers tell you will make you happy. I've come to give you life in all its fullness. When we look to him and seek his kingdom first, he meets our true needs. Not our felt needs. His provision is perfect. You know, our heavenly father always provides exactly what we need to do, exactly what he has called us to do. Measured by worldly standards, we might not be that well-dressed. We might not look abundantly provided for by the world's standards. But that is not God's measure. God is not interested in meeting your desire to have a lifestyle that accords with the way the world tells you you should live. 
because life is more than food and the body more than clothing. His provision is perfect and his perspective is eternal. And that is the way in which he is going to provide for us. He satisfies us eternally with himself. From verse 34, Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. See, this, I think, just puts an absolute hammer blow to people that want to read Jesus' words and say, oh, well, this is all about me getting the mansion I want. If I seek first his kingdom, then I am going to have that huge, incredible property and that Rolls Royce that I've wanted because I'm seeking first his kingdom. He's going to add it all to me. (laughs) This is interesting, isn't it? We're going to talk about it a bit more in a minute, but Jesus says, sufficient for the day is its own trouble. He says, our days are going to contain trouble or pain, hardship. He doesn't say, seek first the kingdom and your days will be trouble-free. Interesting, isn't it? He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What Jesus is saying here is, take a day at a time. It doesn't mean you can't plan for the future. It's good to be diligent and plan. But each day, trust God for that day. Trust him. Know that God is God now. And tomorrow when you wake up, God will still be God. And he will still provide for your needs. He is still that father who will provide. This isn't always easy to do, is it though? It's been real for me this week. See, there's a set of circumstances and conversations I've been in recently that that could represent, by our standards, quite a lot of money for my family. But the only way of guaranteeing that would be for me to actually go against my conscience. It would require me to act in a way that was not actually seeking first the kingdom. It wasn't something illegal. She wasn't even something immoral. But it would not be seeking first the kingdom. It is not in line with what I'm convinced is the right thing to be doing. Reuben, just to say now, don't ask me what it is later, because I can't tell you. Maybe one day I will, but it's not going to be this week. Now, here's the truth, right? That money could be really useful. Could be. We've been fine without it. Absolutely fine. But money is powerfully tempting, isn't it? And honestly, I've I've found myself being anxious this week about what we're going to do without the money. Because I've begun to spend it in my head. Maybe you've been there before. It's like the potential of a promotion in your workplace or something. You begin to spend the money. Like, oh, I could do this. I could do that. You begin to believe that life consists in food and clothes. 
not specifically food and clothes, but essentially the same things. Begun to feel anxious about what we do without the money that we don't have and haven't had. It's crazy, isn't it? When you boil it down, it's crazy. But it's so easy to get to. And God says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about that. Trust me today with what I've given you now. And Jesus points out that today we'll have pain or trouble hardship it's interesting that we're never promised when you read the bible a pain or trouble free existence this side of eternity this side of Christ's return and new creation we're, as Christians we're not promised the absence of pain or trouble or hardship or suffering in fact actually often we find in scripture we're, we're told we will have those things we will experience those things Today we'll have troubles. We can't avoid all hardship and suffering. And we can't control what tomorrow will bring, however much we'd like to think we can. Not one of us. We can plan all we like, but you cannot control what's going to happen tomorrow. You know that? Hopefully you do know that. I'm just going to remind you of that. So please, don't be anxious about it. Trust God today. And when you wake up tomorrow, trust him tomorrow. And when you wake up the next day, trust him then. Whatever circumstances you're facing, whatever trouble that day might hold, trust him because we know that he is good. Do not be anxious and seek first the kingdom. Whatever curveballs or setbacks or hardships, we can know this. We have a loving Heavenly Father who cares and provides and who takes our worry and anxiety on himself and says, all that you really need, I'll add to you perfectly. I want to pray for us that this year that truth is going to sink in and make a difference. That we'd be people this year who more than ever before, are able to say, Lord, we are seeking first your kingdom and your righteousness, trusting you that you will add to us what we really need. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those who live today for your glory. That, Lord, you would help us to be those who submit to you to your rule and reign, to your will and your ways. And let your peace rule in our hearts as we do. Jesus, we acknowledge our temptation and our, the, the inclination of our hearts to believe that food and clothing or whatever else it may be will satisfy us or secure us or bring us the affirmation or acceptance that we're craving but Jesus we know that's crazy 
People who, who don't know you and don't trust you chase after those things, hoping that they will meet those needs. But Jesus, we come to you knowing that you meet our true need. You, in your love and your grace, see us in our brokenness and our sinfulness. And you say, chosen, dearly loved, accepted, provided for. Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your words of affirmation and encouragement today louder than we hear the cries of this world that tell us we need this, that or the other to be fulfilled. Lord, I pray that you would help us to see again today that our security is truly found in you. That our status and our acceptance truly comes from knowing and understanding who we are in you and how we relate to you. And our hope comes not from prolonging our days on this planet through the right diet or whatever else it might be, good medical care. But Lord, our true hope rests in the fact that you're going to make all things new and we're going to be with you in your presence perfectly provided for, delighting in you for all eternity. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to wait well for your return, to trust you today, whatever circumstances we face. For your glory we ask, Jesus. Amen.